Good. I want you to open your Bible to um, Philippians chapter 3. Ben read us um, this passage earlier today, and uh, we are going to read it together here in a moment. But we, several weeks ago, started a study through the book of Philippians because we really see this letter as a major, major encouragement for us as people who are navigating difficulty and hardship in our lives. This letter is written by an author named Paul, first century. Uh, he's writing from a prison, a prison cell, as he is um, in captivity because of his faith. And he's writing to a church in Philippi uh, that he helped start that um, he's writing to encourage. And as he's encouraging them, he's so encouraged that they're being encouraged by his encouragement. And I, I can't help but think, like, God, how do you do that? How do you give somebody that kind of strength? that kind of centeredness, that kind of perseverance, that kind of courage that here they are in the middle of the, one of the most difficult circumstances of their life. He eventually was gonna be killed for his faith. He's just a couple years away from that moment as he's sitting in this prison. Yet he's writing, rejoice, you know, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. He's calling the church to this place of joy over and over and over again. I go, God, those are the kind of people that we wanna be that are able to be in the midst of hardship and difficulty and yet find this ability to have peace and strength and centeredness and a mindset that's strong and, and, and clear and focused on the things of God and the purpose of God and the people around us. Like, wow, God, we're inspired. Jesus said, Grayson just quoted a minute ago. He said, in this, in this life, you will have trouble. He never promised a pain-free existence that this world was just gonna bend to our needs and our desires all the time. He said, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. We wanna be a people who are able to take heart in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And so Philippians has become this letter, that, this study for us to understand how do we do that? How do we take heart? How do we be centered and strong in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives? And so we find ourselves today in chapter three. We're gonna read verses one through 11 together. In fact, I, I want to read this out loud together. We've been doing this every week. Uh, and so if you would, would you stand to your feet with me again today? And let's read this loud and confidently and with passion and fervor and zeal and all those uh, descriptors, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, this is what Paul writes. He writes this in verse 1. Read together with me. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. God, this is your word. We're just inviting you here now by your power, your grace, God, to speak, to reveal, to move in this time, God, to meet each of us here in a life-changing way, God. There's people here that need to be encouraged today. Encourage them by your word, by your spirit. There's some of us, God, that need to be convicted of some stuff. God, do that now. Lord, we just ask you to be here in a powerful way, speaking, leading, moving in this time. We trust you and we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can grab your seat this morning. Have you ever noticed um, that you kind of have a go-to when things are maybe a little hard or stressful at work or Maybe there's some family turmoil. Um, for, for some of us, it's maybe like um, some, some level of entertainment that you want to go to, or maybe it's food. I don't know if anybody else in the, in the room just loves chocolate, like sweets, right? Some of you are salty people. My wife, she loves like popcorn, like salty stuff. Some of you salty people in the room, like chips. So, okay, there's a few of you. Rest of us, right? Sweets, chocolate. Can I get some uh, excitement about that? Like there, there becomes these kind of vices, these, these go-to, these lean-into things. My wife always makes this time of year these pumpkin chocolate chip muffin amazing things. She always is having to coach me like, okay, babe, like, just have one today. Can we do this, you know? And I just, I would eat four. If, if honestly, if I had, like, no awareness, I would just, I would just go for it. And I think that, that um, each of us have these kinds of things in our life that when things get a little hard, a little difficult, uh, we find ourselves kind of leaning into this as a, a place of comfort maybe a place of strength or a place of, of um, trying to find encouragement or something. You know, it's kind of like a, like a vice, like a, a thing that you got, kind of get after when things are hard. This passage um, that we just read together, um, probably out of all the passages that we've studied together so far, needs some context so you kind of get it. You're like, what are you talking about dogs, Paul, and mutilators of the flesh? <laughs> like, these are some weird terms. We're going, to get, we're going to get to these in a second. But I, I just want you to, again, step back and go, okay, as you're going through difficulties in your life, how do you navigate it well? How do you stay centered and strong and have a mindset that's pure in a, in a, in a life that's devoted to God? How do you be an encouragement to other people? How do you find yourself strengthened, full of heart, full of passion? And how do you be somebody that can be an encouragement and a strength to others around you? Like Paul kind of becomes our guide through this letter. And, and, and Philippians 4 specifically really is the pinnacle of this entire letter. I'll read it to you again just because I want you to just kind of get the, the bullseye locked in your heart again. He says this in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't you wish you'd give us a little wiggle room in there? Like a few things. Here's the, here's the really stressful things you can be anxious about. No, nothing. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, I love this, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the bullseye. This is the target we are aiming at. This is the kind of people that we want to become. Lord, not anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, we're praying. 
We're presenting these requests before you and your peace, God, is guarding our hearts and our minds. It's, it's demonstrating a peace that's beyond all comprehension and understanding, God. That's the kind of people that we want to be. How do we do that? What does it look like for us to do that? Well, I want you to look at, at chapter three again with me because Paul um, walks the church through this in a really interesting way. He's kind of, it's like a warning type moment. Hey, when things get hard, when pressure is on, I don't want you to run back to those things that you've kind of leaned on, those vices that you've gone to, those places that you felt comfortable. I don't want you to be led astray. Sometimes this happens when things get hard. The enemy comes in maybe through people or through comparison. He comes into our life and he begins to whisper in your heart that maybe, maybe this hardship that you're in is because you did something wrong. Maybe God is mad at you or punishing you or there's maybe this temptation for you to believe that you're messing something up and so that you gotta, you gotta work at it and figure it out and get through this hardship in a way that kind of cleans things up. He's like, I, I want you to, to pay attention. Watch out, he says in verse two. There's a warning here. Watch out for, for dogs, for those men or evildoers who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. He's starting to unpack what is in this day a very common tension. It takes a little bit of history for you to get this, but Jesus is um, in the lineage and came through the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David. These are all Jews. These are Israelites that God chose as his people. Jesus is a Jew. And he came as, as a fulfillment of promise to bring blessing and salvation to all mankind. Abraham was originally promised that through him, through his offspring, all humanity, all the nations would be blessed through him. So even as, as the conflict is in the Middle East right now, we resonate, we, we see all of this kind of through history and we go, oh yeah, God's plan has always been his people, this Jewish people. And so the fact that Jesus came as a Jew is the fulfillment of this promise. And all the people that started to come to faith in Jesus Christ were first and foremost Jewish. That's who first became Christians, were these Jews. And what's really important about that is that these Jews had centuries of tradition and ways of doing religion in their relationship with God that they were stepping through and out of and into a relationship with Jesus. They didn't come from nothing. Some of us in the room have no religion in our background whatsoever. We're like a blank slate religiously. These guys had thousands of years of religion that they were steeped in. And they came to faith in Jesus Christ with all these traditions, and then they began the job of sorting out what's essential for my walk with Jesus and what can I leave behind as a part of that Jewish tradition. You catch me? And, and, and there was this specific symbol, circumcision, that became the sign. This was given to them as a sign from God that you are separate. You're different from the rest of the nations. You are a peculiar people. You're my people. You're holy. You're set apart. That was really the physical sign of this difference. And so many people that were Jews who had come to faith in Christ started to see all these other people with no religious background at all come to faith in Christ. And they started kind of figuring it out like, well, maybe we need to make them a little Jewish so that they can really know Jesus. They were known as Judaizers. They would, they would push maybe some rules and some, 
some systems like circumcision on these new converts, these new believers in Jesus, um, and tried to make them kind of Jewish because that was their journey, right? We were Jews, then we became Christians. And this is, this is so common to us as people. We do this all the time. We take our experiences and make them normal, and, and then we try to expect everybody else to have our experiences with God and how it goes. We, we deal with this all the time in, in, in our faith. And, and Paul is saying, hey, I want you to watch out for these guys. And a warning, when you think about a warning, it's really easy to um, dismiss a warning. I don't know if you do this ever. Like, hey, danger ahead. There's a sharp curve. Slow down. It's, it's yellow. It's a suggestion. Slow down, Right. Or we, where we camp all the time, you know, there's these big, giant grizzly bear warning signs. Eh, I haven't really seen too many grizzlies around here until you're cooler. It, like, one time our family's cooler was, like, halfway up the hillside. We could see this little red speck up there in the woods. Like, oh, I guess a bear drug it up there. <laughs> you, you don't really heed the warnings right in the moment. But, but Paul is saying, hey, when things get difficult, you need to pay attention to the motivation of your heart. Pay attention to what, what it is that's driving you and, and where you're coming from and, and, and watch out for these people in your life that are kind of evildoers. He calls them dogs. These people that are drawing you into the old way of doing life where your religion now is based off of the work that you are doing to try to find peace, to try to find strength and centeredness in the midst of this hardship that you're in. It's really a, a grasping for control. It's like a reach for a chocolate or a salty chip or whatever it is that's your go-to. kind of becomes one of those like, well, I may not be able to find comfort in any of this brokenness in this life, but there's always chocolate, you know? It's like, it's like that. It's like us reaching for religion, self-righteous ways of living to control our circumstances, our pain, the burdens that we feel, the uncertainties that surround us. It's like we're looking for peace but the place that we're looking for it in is our own human effort to make ourselves right with God. Maybe God's mad at me, and so if I could work hard enough, be religious enough, maybe he'll stop being mad at me, and this hardship will go away. We start to play these, these math games in our head, thinking that if we could add this up and do a little more of this and a little less of that, then, then maybe like the hardship will just evaporate and things will go back to normal. And for many of us, we've created some systems, and Paul's like, I want you to watch out for this tendency in your heart and in many people's hearts to allow yourself to get sucked into this, this place where, where you're putting your confidence in yourself in the midst of your hardship, in your own effort, in your own abilities, in your own understanding. He goes on to say, you know, a lot of people have tried to do that, verse 4, but I have a lot of reason for confidence in the flesh. <laughs> he says, uh, if, if, if there's anyone that has confidence, I got way more. Let me just tell you my pedigree, right? This is when you were reading, you're like Hebrew of Hebrews. As for, as for the law, you know, a Pharisee, that's like the highest achiever in their religious system. As for zeal, he was killing Christians, persecuting the church. Like there's nobody more passionate about it than I am. If there's anybody that had like a, a pedigree and a, and a job resume that said your religious and enough to have peace in the midst of difficulty. Paul's like, I have, I have all of that and way more than you. But I consider all of it loss, garbage, nothing, rubbish, he says. Look at, look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my performance, my ability to behave a certain way, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, not on works, not on merit, not on my ability, but on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, this is attention that I think Paul wants us to pay attention to, the warning that he is heeding to, to the church. Hey, find, find what is motivating you in the midst of this hardship what it is that you are clinging to and going to and trying to medicate with and try to figure out and trying to control because it's really tempting for us to get sucked into by these evildoers, these people around us, by our own kind of past and traditions and find ourselves um, looking for peace, looking for confidence, strength in the midst of our difficulties in the wrong places. Watch out. And I think that what Paul does with this passage is so powerful. It's not what we would normally do. He takes a long view. He looks towards the end. I mean, verse, verses 10 and 11, he, he begins to talk about sharing, knowing Christ in the power of his resurrection and then share in his sufferings, like nothing any of us would ever pray for or want or long for, but even becoming like him in his death. Like Paul starts to zoom way out and look way beyond this life. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's looking into the future at this moment when anyone and everyone that has put their faith in Jesus Christ would be gathered up to spend eternity in heaven with God. Scripture promises and teaches us that one day that Christ is going to return. Jesus, who who died and rose from the dead and was here on earth for 40 some days, then ascended into heaven. He promised his disciples in that day, I'm going to return again one day. And we are all awaiting that return. And one day there's going to be like a trumpet sound and, and, and this great shout in heaven. And, and then all that have already died who are in Christ are going to be resurrected and gathered up with him. And everybody that's still living on earth in that day is going to be gathered up with Christ in the clouds. There's going to be this great and glorious moment then when we all, all generations, all nations, all stand before God on this judgment day. And we are going to be declared innocent and righteous or guilty and condemned, depending on where we have put our faith. Is our faith in our works and our effort and our religion, or is it in Jesus Christ? And, and that great and glorious day is the day that Paul is looking forward to with passion and excitement and, and the ability to endure. And I think that this is really powerful. Like for, for generations and centuries upon centuries, people have endured really difficult things with the ability to look ahead. Look to the greater prize, not to the temporary suffering and the brokenness and the pain of where I find myself right now. I was reading this summer. Um, from an author who endured um, the concentration camps. And he was a psychologist as he went into the camps, a doctor, and uh, he began to develop a theory while he was in the camps. I think he was in six different camps. His name is Viktor Frankl. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. 
And what he concluded through these times in the camps was that those that had a greater purpose beyond just not dying had the ability to endure through all this difficulty every day. I mean, hunger that nobody has ever been able to describe, suffering that nobody has ever been able to capture, fear of death every single day like hardship that none of us could really even categorize. These, these people lived through day after day, trained from different camp, working in the most brutal, relentless of conditions. And to hear him recount all these moments, he, he always seemed to bring it back and was able to nail it down to those that had something to look forward to, had this amazing ability to endure the difficulty that they found themselves in. And that's, that's him finding the truth of God's word in the midst of a really impossible situation. And I bring this to you today so you can kind of see, wow, a lot of us have, have, have been in hardship and difficulty trying to figure out how to stay centered and strong in the midst of it. And I think Paul really shows us right here. Hey, I don't, I don't want you to get caught up in all of this and forget where you've come from and forget what it's all been about, that, that there is a resurrection of those that are found in Christ that is coming one day. And that you can actually put your eyes and your attention and your focus and your rejoicing in that resurrection. And it seems like that's where Paul's fuel and his passion is coming from, is like in this anticipation of this great and glorious day. And for you and I, I think it's important that we just kind of come back to this and go, all right, there's some important pieces for us to learn from this passage. One is this. The whole first warning section of this passage is a, is a reminder for, for us today. If you're taking notes, you gotta get this down, that grace is all we have. Watch out for anything and anyone that would try to lead you into a place where human effort is becoming your means of, of figuring out this life or the life to come. Watch out. Grace. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor on your life. He contrasts, he says, there's these, these mutilators of the flesh, these, these, these guys, he's like, in verse three, he says this, for it is we who are the circumcision. Who are those ones? We who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the ones that have actually experienced the favor of God on their life. Those that have determined that it has been the grace of God from the very beginning and grace is all we have. We put no confidence in our human effort. We put all our confidence in the grace of God. Like think of this, like it was the grace of God that, that gave you that grandma that always prayed for you. It was the grace of God that got you in these doors today. It was the grace of God to get you in that jail cell sober enough to read that passage in Scripture. It was the grace of God that, that, that got that coworker to share with you the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. It has always been the grace of God, and it will always be the grace of God. It was God's love, God's effort, God's desire for you to experience life in Him. It has been the gift of Jesus Christ from the beginning. Nothing any of us have ever done have got us right with God. It has always been his grace. Grace is all we have. When it, when it comes to us enduring well, there's a temptation to begin to put our faith back in those places that we used to lean on. Don't do that. That's the warning. Remember, it's grace. 
Think about where you go. I joked about chocolate and popcorn, but maybe for you it is your pedigree. Well, I've always been in a Christian home. That pedigree will not make you right with God. I've grown up this way, Richie. I've always believed in God. This notion gets thrown around all the time. I've believed in God. An idea of God, a notion of God is so much different than a relationship with God. And I would encourage you to not lean into a, a pedigree or, or maybe you're one of those people like me that kind of lean into passion. He says zeal in this passage. He said, I was the most zealous. I was persecuting the church. I do this all the time when hardship comes I, I get more passionate. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to work harder and, and, and longer and more, more urgent than anything and anyone and any time ever in my life, and I'm going to make it through this thing. And it's like we apply our human effort and our human volition to try to get our way through this hardship and this difficulty. That is empty and lifeless. Grace is all we have. For maybe for you, it, it is just rule following. You feel like maybe God has been mad at you and it's you that stepped out of line and so now God is punishing you. All of that is false. There's always been God's love that has drawn us to himself. It has always been God's love that, that we can never be separated from. It has always been God's love. It has never been our efforts and our abilities to check boxes and do religion. I would warn us, even here at Real Life, we have so much passion around. You need to be in a group, and you need to start leading a group, and start serving around here, and Thanksgiving boxes, and let's go bless. Like, if we're not careful, these all become little check boxes that we create a system of us feeling good about our relationship with God. None of that makes us right with God. It is grace. It has always been grace. Are all those pieces a part of our growth? Absolutely. Are they good for us? Absolutely. But they are not the reason why we do what we do. It has always been grace. And it's so important that we hear this warning and heed this in this passage. Paul, the same author, writes to the Galatians, another church he planted in chapter 3 of that letter. He says in verse 2, he's kind of like, He's, he's kind of not mad at them, but he's kind of punching them in the nose in this passage. He's like, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. I want to ask you a question, Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit, the Spirit of God, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? I just need to clarify this. Where did it come from, the gift of God's deposit of his spirit inside you? Was it from you doing enough righteous things to make yourself right with God? Or was it by you learning to believe in what you heard? He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? every moment in the presence of God, every bit of God's grace and love in your life, if it really was in vain. So I ask, again, I, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Like it's so, such a good question for us to evaluate the motivations of our heart. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it that when things get hard and the pressure is on and the stress is real that I find this want inside me to try to control things and get things back under the way I know they should be. And you've created a little system for yourself. 
And this is Paul just kind of rattling all of us going, wait a second, it's always been grace and it will always be the grace of God. It has never been you. It has never been your effort. It has always been God's love, his unmerited favor poured out on your life. It has always been his initiative, his desire for you to experience the life that he gave you and made you for. It has always been the grace of God and it always will be the grace of God. Don't allow yourself to get off course in the midst of this hardship, trying to make yourself good enough somehow to get out of this hardship. It is a trap and that is evil. It is, it is a temptation and it will sidetrack and sideswipe your faith. You will find yourself in a ditch and you will find yourself discouraged and disillusioned by religion. My encouragement to all of us is to heed this warning and go, you know what? If we got started in grace, let's not try to finish in the flesh. The other thing that he does that's so powerful in here, one is, is grace is all that we have. The second is this, is that uh, if you're going to really endure well, you got to learn to embrace the resurrection. And this is hard for some of us. It's like heaven, like harps, clouds. I don't know about all that, Richie. Like I like this life. I like these people. I like my family. Like I love all these memories. I have all this stuff. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe for generations and in, in, in different parts of civilization through history, there's always been this longing for eternity. And maybe we're kind of numb to it because life has been so good for so many of us. We're so prosperous and so kind of pleasant in the way that we live this life. Our stresses are not the same. Paul is sitting in prison. Of course, you can rejoice in the resurrection when you're sitting in prison. But me here on the couch watching college football, eh, you know, I got my chips and I got my chocolate. And like, I'm good. I want to encourage us that it's actually a, a spiritual discipline to begin to embrace the resurrection. There is a longing inside of each of us and suffering always reveals this longing. This longing is for peace, for a freedom from pain, for justice, for things to be made right that are broken, things that are, that are bad to be made whole and healed in the way they were intended to be. See, you are, you are made with eternity set in your heart. That's that longing inside you is for things to be whole and complete the way God originally designed this world to be in the Garden of Eden before sin and Satan entered into the story. This is the way it was, was fulfilled and joyful. Um, the Bible says that, that Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, they were naked and they felt no shame. There was no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, no tears, no suffering, none of that. And then in, sin entered the planet, entered the story and began to unravel all the goodness that God created created. This is why Jesus came was to, to restore all things to the way they were originally designed to be. This is the day that we look forward to is this day of resurrection where, where all of us will be gathered up into that moment of, of, of judgment and invitation into this great wedding feast, this banquet that God will be with his people and we will be with him and we will experience the presence of God in a way that, that is so fulfilling, so peaceful, so overwhelming that none of us could even comprehend it here on this life. You have little glimpses, you know, of like, oh, what would life be like if? You have longings, you have desires, but all of them fall so short of the reality of the resurrection. And so we look to scripture and we go, oh, like where did, 
the New Testament is so packed full of like Jesus. If he was gonna, if he was going to like encourage his disciples, you know, one day, I know it's hard right now, but you're gonna get a reward and it's gonna be in heaven. And it's gonna be awesome. And they're like, yeah, I want that reward. Like, I feel like if Jesus said that to us today, we'd be like, eh, is it better than chocolate? <laughs> you know, honestly. And, and I, I really wanna challenge that in me and in us. I want us to, to really embrace what we are looking forward to. James chapter one says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because, why is he blessed? Because having stood the test, like stayed strong in the midst of the difficulty and the hardship and the uncertainty and the pain and all the things that are going on, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Speaking of this day of resurrection, of the Lord, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Not to those that worked hard enough and got it right enough, but to those that have realized it's always been the love of God, the grace of God. And so God, I, I turn to you in this moment of hardship and asking you for the strength to stand because I know that there is a crown one day that is coming at this day of resurrection. And I want God to be able to receive that crown with joy and excitement and passion, not God, reluctance or, or uncertainty. God, I want to put my sights on this day when all things are going to be brought back into the way they were intended to be. This day of resurrection, this day of restoration. Revelation 21. John writes what he sees. I love this. It's a vision. It's what he actually sees. He says, I, I, then I saw, I saw something so amazing. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Listen, and then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It goes on to say, behold, I am making all things new. Embrace this resurrection. This is the place where we find our hope. This is where we find our strength is knowing that we are enduring for a greater day, a day of, of salvation, a day of restoration, a day of reconciliation, a day where the creator and sustainer of all things is going to make things right the way he intended them to be. And he wants you to be a part of it. My hope is that as a people, we'd be inspired by this and we'd be anticipating this and we'd be sharing this with everybody around us. Like, you gotta know, like we are living for this day. Probably even better than sharing it would be people noticing, right? The peace that we got that surpasses all understanding. This lack of anxiety ruling our hearts and our minds. Like, wow, what is it about you? This resurrection, this, this day that we are living for. I want to pray and 
as I do, I just can't help but think about some of you in the room that like religion has been your God, human effort. God is inviting you out of that today to a real honest, open, authentic relationship with him where you're transparent like I I don't have what it takes to make myself righteous. The Bible says none of us is righteous. No, not even one. Every one of us falls short of God's standard of righteousness. As you're recognizing that, I'm like, is my best efforts are still not enough. I need a Savior. Jesus, be my Savior. Others of you, you started the race well. You started in the Spirit, but through hardship and difficulty, you found yourself leaning on the flesh. And the idea of the resurrection sounds nice, but you got work to do right now, and you're finding it hard to hope. And God is encouraging you today to put your hope in that resurrection that is not based on your effort, but on the grace of God, the favor of God, the love of God for you. Some of you have drifted off, and God's drawing you back. Some of you have never known him. He's bringing you to him right now. That all of us would just turn to Jesus in this time. I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet with me today, real life? God, you see every heart here and you know every story, you know every bit of our difficulty, our hardship, our uncertainty, God. God, you never stop, haven't stopped, will never stop loving, drawing, God, making it real and powerful who you are, just revealing yourself, God. You're so, so good at that, God. I pray, Jesus, that right now you would just reveal yourself in every heart here. Those that need to repent, give them the courage to repent. Those, God, that have lost their way and stumbled in the darkness. God, I pray that your light would shine and just draw them to a place of repentance and healing and restoration. God, those that are discouraged and just have become embittered in the midst of their hardship. God, I pray that you would release them from that, that bitterness right now, God, and give them the courage, God, to just embrace this love that you have for them, this resurrection day that you are bringing about, Lord. For those of us that have had a hard time anticipating this hope that we have, God, I pray that you would just bring the reality of heaven, God, to our hearts and our minds, and God, give us a, a sense of excitement and ability, God, to look forward to this day when all things will be made new, God. God, you're strengthening your church. You've given us your grace to endure well, God, and I just thank you, Lord, for that. I pray, Jesus, that you'd meet each of us right here in this time. I love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.